Welcome to another GD podcast. I'm your host, Guy DeMarco. And this week, I'm giving you some feedback on the Modern Day Snipers Advanced Long Range Competition Clinic that was held at Altus Shooting Solutions on 10 to 12 January of 2024. Uh, I'm going to cover um, what we covered or some of what we covered in those three days of training. Uh, my major takeaways, a comparison to last year's course uh, that I took and uh, some general feedback. So stay tuned. Let's dive in to Modern Day Sniper Advanced Long Range Competition Clinic. Um, so it was a three-day course. Um, it was held at Altus Shooting Solutions in Baker, Florida. Um, it's the second year that Altus has uh, hosted uh, the MDS crew, <clears throat> and it was a lot of fun. So um, day one, it was a Wednesday. Um, it was a Wednesday. So uh, back in the day, Wednesday, we all met up in the, the new training facility bunk room. It's actually like um, a team house for like the military guys that come in and stay on site instead of having to like get a hotel down um, downtown somewhere or XYZ. It's easier on the per diem for the military guys. So they built this awesome facility, full kitchen, bathroom, showers, uh, big dining area, full kitchen, um, big lounge area with big screen TVs, Starlink, all this kinds of cool uh, cool stuff. Um, that's where MDS did the classroom portion of the training. So we all met up in there. Um, we did the interviews. We did the introductions. Hey, my name's Guy. I'm uh, like long walks on the beach and shooting precision rifles. So um, once everybody kind of did their intros, Phil and Kalen um, did their instructor intros and what we were going to cover and kind of got a feel for the class and how they were going to gear it um, to what we wanted to learn. So after we did those short introductions and did uh, our safety brief in the classroom, we moved out to the 100 yard zero uh, range and we zeroed and chronoed a rifle, got all of our stuff out. Um, all the uh, all the stuff that they told us we we're going to need, you know, rifle, rear bags, um, tripods, tack tables, whatever. Got all that stuff out, and then proceeded to zero our rifles and check uh, speed with whatever chronos we had. Um, so once we were done with that, everybody kind of like gathered around and um, to tell you guys uh, this, so we kind of understand it. They did um, both both classroom instruction and then they did like hip pocket instruction on the line hip pocket referring to um kind of like a military thing where if uh you and your joes or your marines or your 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 squad is standing around and you ain't got nothing to do you can pull out you know whatever um you know pocket manual you got this that the other thing and you can do some hip pocket training right there on the spot it doesn't have to be formal it doesn't have to be fancy um, it's just providing knowledge to uh, whoever you're with and occupying the time instead of just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, right? So they busted out and we did a hip pocket class on um, the positional shooting that we were about to do. We did um, standing, high kneeling, and low kneeling positions. Um, we didn't do any type of seated uh, shooting because this was a competition clinic and there's not a whole lot of seated uh shooting positions within 
um, the PRS points um, race gun style of of uh, shooting. There may be some sitting when it comes to hunting and things like that, but that's not necessarily what this class was geared to. We did have some NRL hunters in the class, but that's not the primary demographic that we were focusing on. Um, mainly uh, marksmanship and making sure that um, we understand the fundamentals of not only shooting, but also the fundamentals of uh, competition. Uh, so they did this hip pocket class on positional stuff. Um, we went over those three positions, the standing, the high kneeling and the low kneeling. Uh, one thing that I was introduced to was um, the double kneeling, but pushing my hips forward as if I'm trying to get my pelvis in front of my belly button and or uh, my chest area. So really pushing from the from the hips forward and kind of locking that in and getting your whole back to be in a line and being on the gun. Uh, I found that to be a pretty effective method of doing the high kneeling position um, when shooting off of our tripods. Um, they talked about the importance of the of MPA coming into uh, getting into these positions, making sure that you're addressing your shoulder square to the target and then addressing your rifle and not getting on your rifle and then trying to fight your rifle into position, getting yourself set and then getting in there and addressing the rifle. Um, talking about how making sure that your hips are pointed downrange, your shoulders are pointed downrange, and making sure that everything is lined up. That way, when you do put the rifle down on your barricade, your tripod, whatever it is, everything's pointing already downrange at your target, and then you can go from there and engage the target that way. Um, and then they did talk about breathing and how um, being consistent in your breathing and making sure that you're breaking that shot at the natural respiratory pause at the bottom of your breath really does play into uh, your shot placement downrange and how uh, the aiming process works. Now, I say aiming process because they had a process for everything, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm a process guy. That's kind of how my mind works. So they had a process for everything. They had a process for aiming. They had a process for addressing the rifle. They had a process for wind. They had a bunch of different processes, and all those processes related to um, making good hits on target, which I thought was, you know, pretty stinking important because that's the whole reason that we're there. Um, so in this aiming class, there was, um, they talked about our wobble zone and our wobble zone being the movement inside the reticle that you see downrange during the aiming process. And we all know what if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you know what wobble zone is. Hopefully I described it well enough for you. Um, but they talked about the types of wobble. Uh, there's horizontal wobble, there's vertical, mechanical, and environmental. If you're getting horizontal uh, wobble, meaning that center dot of your reticle is moving left and right, that's an NPA, natural point of aim issue. Um, that's your hips could be slightly off, your shoulders aren't square. Something is causing you to fight the rifle to the left and the right, and it's wanting to come back to the rifle's natural point of aim, which isn't aligned with your natural point of aim. So making sure that you address yourself to the to the proper to the target and then addressing yourself to the rifle, that'll help eliminate your horizontal wobble. 
Uh, they talk about vertical wobble. This deals with your breathing, right? And where your uh, rifle is as far as like center point and balance, making sure that it's set up properly to where it will set perfectly level on a prop without having to like sway back and forth. But then how you breathe and engage that rifle system and you engage that target, uh, making sure that you're breaking it at the natural respiratory pause. Um, they also talked about mechanical wobble. Mechanical wobble being, if you're on a rickety old prop, um, you're going to have some mechanical wobble. Perfect example of this would be the PRS barricade at Alabama Precision. It is a wooden barricade on a steel frame on a wooden platform deck with some angle iron rod trying uh, to support it. Um, you get on there and you start walking on that platform and that whole thing shakes and you try and shoot a 10 inch circle at 400 yards and it can be quite difficult. So the sturdiness of your prop or the sturdiness of whatever you're uh, shooting off of can, if it's not sturdy, it can cause the mechanical wobble. And the last type of wobble they talked about was environmental. And we definitely dealt with that um, during those three days. And that is the environment um, as it interacts with you. So uh, if you get a strong gust of wind and you're on target and it blows you and you wobble off to the left or to the right, that's going to be your environmental wobble. Um, I talked about the aiming process. So they have a six-part aiming process. And I'm not going to go through the entire thing. Um, if you want to know what the six-part aiming process is, take one of their classes. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Um, I'm just kind of giving you the wave tops of this uh, of this three days of training. I'm not going to regurgitate everything that they taught me. Um, if you want to take a class uh, with them and learn all this stuff, uh, go ahead and, and, and do that. And they're going to be able to explain it way better than I can. But they have a six-part process. And part of it is um, the uh, getting into the scope, you know, finding out where what you're going to hold as far as wind or if you're going to hold straight up, this, that, the other thing. Your exhale, your inhale, your exhale, your firing process, applying your wind hold, all of that stuff comes into their aiming process, which is really cool. I really like it. I'm going to start implementing it in my own training, in my own competitions, and I think it's going to work out well for me. So um, I hadn't thought of aiming as a process. I know that there's uh, squeeze, break, freeze as far as like firing control. I know there's a pre-stage process and a post-stage process and a movement process. Um, I never really thought of an aiming process. So it was kind of interesting to hear that perspective of it. Um, after we got done doing the hip pocket positional and aiming class, um, and we got a good zero, and we ran through some of the positional shooting drills that they had for us, we then went over and confirmed dope on the 940-yard tower. Um, it was basically a free shoot. So the instructor said, hey, you guys can shoot whatever you want. Distances are posted up there, or you could laze them, or you could do whatever. But go ahead and shoot around, shoot the stages, or shoot the targets at different distances on different lanes, X, Y, Z. Reserve the 940 berm for uh, the instructors. They'll call on a, a student. You'll smack this plate at 940, confirm your dope at 940, and then we moved on. Um, so ever, all the students went through that. Post 940 data confirmation, 
we ended up running two stages. So um, the course was taught by Phil and, and Kaylin. They broke us into two groups, um, six and five, and then we split and then we ran a stage with Phil and then we ran a stage um, with Kaylin. We started off with Phil or I started off with Phil and it was a simple troop line, three to 700 or something like that. Um, he was, it was more like a fundamentals check, like see how you see what your process is before he like tried to correct you. He didn't correct you on the clock or anything like that. Uh, one thing he did for me is he videoed my, um, my follow through on my trigger. Uh, something that I'm bad about is I'll break the trigger and I'll immediately let go. Uh, I don't slap the trigger, but I'll break the trigger and then I'll immediately let go of the trigger. Um, so he recorded it and then he asked me, he's like, so at 300, 400, 500 yards, you broke the shot and then immediately let go and then went for the bolt. He's like, but at 700 yards on a one MOA target at 700, he's like, you waited, you broke the shot, you waited, ran the bolt, broke the shot and waited. He's like, any reason why you did it on some shots, but not all shots. And I was like, I have no idea. Um, so to say there's some things that we're not aware that we're doing because we're not being filmed or we're not being critiqued all the time. That's something cool about going to one of these classes is you may learn something that you didn't know you were doing because you've got somebody sitting there watching you. Um, so that was really valuable for me. I tried to make it a conscious effort to ensure that I was pinning the trigger to the rear until I saw what was going on downrange and then evaluating and then running my bolt. Um, I'd like to say I did it more often than not, but I don't know. Uh, he did catch me slipping one or two times uh, throughout the throughout the length of the class. Um, so we ran two stages. That was the first one that we ran. We ran, I think, 300 to 700 yards, two rounds each. Nothing super crazy. It was from the prone. That was um, one of the last times we shot in the prone um, throughout the uh, the rest of the course. And then when we switched, we went over with Kalen and we shot off of a piece of crane boom that was laying across the ground and then a uh, wooden staircase. Um, we shot off um, we shot off the top and then moved to the lower side, I think. Um, and basically it was um, two shots uh, or like four shots from the crane boom and then two and two, something like that. It was like eight shots or 10 shots. I don't remember the, the exact course of fire, um, but it was fun. Uh, we were starting to, some was starting to go down a little bit. So oh, I wouldn't say we were rushing, but um, we were going fast to make sure that everybody could get through before uh, we were out of light. Um, we, Kalen stressed like, what are people's pre-shot and post-shot processes look like. Um, I'm loading my pre-shot, I'm loading my mag, I'm checking my dope, I'm getting my, uh, I'm establishing my initial wind call and backup wind calls. I'm prepping my my bag, I'm making, I'm double checking my dope, I'm looking through glass, I'm looking through glass, I'm watching somebody else shoot and see how they do it. And then I'm checking my, uh, checking my dope, I'm checking my wind, I'm doing all these things prior to the stage. I shoot the stage. And when I come off the stage, I reset my turrets to zero. I go load my mag. I collect my brass. I write down um, how many rounds I crushed or how many impacts, how many cr uh, impacts I crushed on that stage. Anything that I missed, um, that pulled a bad shot, didn't, um, you know, apply my 
did not apply my proper win hold, whatever it may be. I write that down in my matchbook, get all my stuff together, and then I assist my fellow um, squad mates or I move to the next stage if I'm the next, the first shooter on the next stage. So some things like that. Um, once everybody finished those two stages, it was kind of like a free shoot. We were losing some light. Um, they called it at like five o'clock, uh, went back to the clubhouse, kind of did a quick debrief, what everybody's thoughts were, any concerns, what they liked, what they didn't like day one, and then got the show time for day two. Day two kicked off with wind 101. Um, both Kalen and Phil were big proponents of the Hornady Ford off for uh, four degrees of uh, of freedom uh, ballistic software. Uh, you can get that in a Kestrel or just the, the Hornady Ford off app. Um, he was showing us how that app worked and some of the cool features that it has um, in comparison to applied ballistics. Um, it's just different flavor of, of, ballistic solver. So they were kind of showing us that versus our Kestrels. Uh, with the, the Wind 101, they stress the importance of entering barometric pressure into the cast, uh, into your Kestrel, whether it be Hornady or a Fordoff. Uh, but that's an important thing to capture and how to go about capturing that um, through a wet offsite weather station or if the range that you're at has. Uh, the capability of providing like a barometric pressure gauge on site, uh, taking advantage of that. Um, like I said, everything has a process. They talked about their wind process. So they're going to identify the wind being the direction the wind is coming from, the speed of the wind, and then the value of the wind, meaning full value, half value, quarter value, three quarter value, etc. cetera. Um, they're going to find whatever solution um, that they, they need to apply. And then they're going to account for um, greater wind and uh, lesser wind and make sure that they capture that. So if they, hey, I think it's a five mile an hour wind right now, but they get up there and it's a three mile an hour wind, they didn't write just five mile an hour wind values down. They have something to go plus or minus what their initial wind call was. And then apply the hold. So when I get to my stage and I'm doing all my pre- pre-stage stuff, I'm going to identify the wind. Okay. I can feel it coming in at a quarter, put my cash roll, whatever, you know, click my value. Okay. I'm getting a, I'm getting a consistent six mile an hour gusting up to 10 miles an hour. So a six to 10. So I'm probably going to go from a three, six, eight, 10, 12, for example, get all that information, have that on my dope card, my arm board, whatever it may be. All right. I found, uh, I found, I've identified the wind. I found my solution. And now when I go to shoot my stage, I need to apply that actual wind hold. Um, if I shoot downrange and I see that I'm right a little bit, do I need to increase my wind? Do I need to decrease my wind? Can I go to my next wind bracket and figure out if that's, um, that's the wind that I need to be holding? I think that was probably one of the bigger takeaways uh, of this week, of that weekend. Um, and I'm going to share that a little bit later. Um, they talked about gun number in this in this wind 101 class and like how to figure out your wind number, um, which is relatively simple. But the variables that affect gun number being um, your <laughs> your BC, your ballistic coefficient. I couldn't think of that word for a second. Your muzzle velocity and then your altitude. So my 
uh, gun number here in Florida may be different than my gun number in Wyoming because the elevation, the altitude is so drastically different. I'm going from sea level to 5,700 feet. Um, it can change my my gun number. So uh, I didn't understand. I didn't know that. Um, now I do. Now I can I can be conscious of that when I go and travel. Um, once we got done with the wind class, we moved outside and we did some more, we did more stages. So this is a competition clinic. So they were putting us through competition style stages. Um, uh, Kaylin had the rocks and um, Phil had the bus shooting out of the bus windows. Um, one thing, one key thing that I took away from the bus was economy of motion. Um, I've, already, I've shot out of the buses a lot. Altus, uh, K and M, Twisted Barrel, uh, or not Twisted Barrel, uh, Mississippi at Gunline, uh, Alabama Precision. So I've shot out of buses before. Somewhat familiar on how to get a stable position, go into the the vertical support on the side of the window using the back of the seat as a support. I'm pretty comfortable with doing that. Um, one thing that I have always struggled with is removing the rifle, getting into the next window. Um, and Phil showed us uh, a cool technique where you just slide the whole rifle back, grab it with your firing hand, grab your bag, place your bag on the next one, and then move to the next seat, get your gun into the window. Um, it's a smooth, it's effective. Um, when you do it properly, it looks badass. It looks like you're a pro. It looks like you know what you're doing. Um, so that was something cool that I picked up on the bus. It's these little tidbits of information. It's these little things that you see professional shooters doing, not in a match setting where you can pick those up and you can apply them in, in your next match. And I happened to have done that because we shot the Altus long range uh, or long range. Yeah. Long range classic um, this past weekend. And I cleaned the bus and I didn't have any problems going in and out of the windows or anything else like that. So um, it it was beneficial for me to take this class because I then thus cleaned cleaned the stage at Altus. Is it a direct correlation? I don't know, but I think I did better because I had recently practiced the bus, but also the uh, economy of motion and the fluidness in which I got in and out of those windows, I think helped me not time out. Um, so we shot the bus, um, one target, 515 yards, two rounds, five windows, pretty simple. Um, when we were done with that, we ran over and shot the rocks with Kalen. If you've shot the rocks on the high side, on the, on the traditional side of Altish, you know that one, they eat brass and two, they're kind of difficult to get in and out of. So, um, the targets that we were shooting were a small circle at like 350 and then the back berm at a, uh, a five, 735 yards, large IPSC. So it was a little mirage. It was a little soupy because of the rain we had the day, be day before. So we engaged the circle, excuse me, you engage the IPSC and then you drop down to the circle, engage and move, engage this IPSC, move back to the circle. Um, I elected to hold this. I dialed for the 350 yard target and I would hold over for the long target. Um, there was a lot of wind down there. So doing that hold and doing it that way, um, if I would have just dialed, I may not have 
gotten through the entire stage, but I probably would have gotten more hits um, because it's a more refined focal point. That's what your eye wants to go to. You have um, a horizontal stadia that's got all your wind holds on there. Um, may have been the way to go. I don't know. I, uh, I when we did our little mini comp on uh, Friday, I did it the exact same way and still scored the the same amount of points. So we did uh, the rocks and we did the bus and then it was time for lunch. Um, because the trigger cam screen broke on day one during the hip pocket class because the wind caught it and blew over the easel and it smashed the screen on the uh, on the trigger cam uh, screen that they have. Um, during lunch, we reviewed, reviewed some of the trigger cam footage. We reviewed Phil's run of the bus with um, the trigger cam. They reviewed my trigger cam. They reviewed Kalen's trigger cam from the rocks uh, and were able to show us what they were doing when they were doing it. They were able to explain it. They were able to show us. Um, so that was really, really cool. If you haven't invested in a trigger cam, um, I highly suggest that you do. They are a pricey piece of equipment for just being able to watch yourself or make videos or whatever. But if you have one of these uh, items on your scope and you shoot a match and you're like, shit, I have no idea where that went. You can review the footage and kind of see what was going on when you were shooting that stage. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, after lunch, we went to the UKD side and uh, we did two more stages. Um, so we did a tripod rear stage with Phil and then we did a long range engagement with Kalen. The tripod rear was off the Kestrel barricade. It was four targets, four positions. So it was a 12 round stage. They really like doing the 12 round stages. One, it gets you more time on the trigger. That's why we're there is to shoot and to learn how to shoot better. So getting us more time on the trigger is obviously a beneficial thing. So um, fill stage was um, the four ports on the Kestrel barricade and it was three gophers and what basically looks like a toilet seat or a donut. Um, it's a circle target and it's got the circle missing out of the center of it. And, uh, it's hanging off of a strap. So, um, do you trust your elevation or do you trust your wind? Um, kind of either, either, or whichever fashion, uh, you think about it. So it was one, two, three on the gopher and then toilet seat move. So I'm not a strong tripod rear shooter. So, um, that's something that I was, I, struggle with i'm not nervous but i'm nervous to pull it out in a match because i don't practice it enough and that's on me so we did that stage i didn't make it all i don't think i made it all the way through the stage um and i know i missed a couple of the targets um if you're watching um through the the trigger cam like you can see that i just barely missed it or i hit it or i screwed this up and then when you're watching on the actual video that we took um, I'm going to try and mirror those up and post those so you can see what I'm, I'm trying to explain here. Um, if you see that, you can kind of see the, the nuance um, of the tripod uh, starting from the right. If you're a right-handed shooter, going from the right to the left, um, addressing the gun and then bringing the tripod in instead of bringing the tripod in and then trying to fight it to go back left and right, small micro adjustments some things like that, just some just some more small tricks that I picked up when I was uh, uh, taking this class and, and the nuance of the tripod 
seeing how I'm not very good at it. Um, after we finished with Phil, my group went over and shot with Kalen. We shot um, three positions, four shots each at some uh, Ipsix and Iron Maidens out there from 800 to about 1100 yards and applying wind holds to those and trying to um, make a one, a smart wind, um, a wind, a smart initial wind call. And then if that doesn't work, measuring and moving, um, trying to bring that impact to the center of the plate. So uh, I did okay on that one as well. Um, not as good as I wanted. I think I got like a seven or an eight out of 12. Um, but uh, definitely learned some stuff. And then this is where he showed us his wind card and that we'll talk about it, but that's one of the things that I really picked up on. And I really like, I feel like, I'm not saying that's the the biggest thing that I learned, but I am saying like, that's one of the key nuggets of information that I was able to pull out of this class is um, proper dope card setup and proper uh, wind column setup. I've never really been exposed to it before. I, I don't want to say nobody's taught me how to do it, um, but there's things that you pick up. Like I've shot a bunch of two-day matches with a bunch of really good shooters. I've seen them writing all this stuff out, but I'm not going to go up to Nathan Tungate and be like, hey man, what are all these numbers on your thing? He's trying to to, to shoot his match um, during his stage prep isn't the time to ask him in my, in my opinion, I could probably ask him after this, after the stage or after the match or whatever, but you know, I run around with all my podcast stuff and I'm always, uh, uh, trying to get content. So, um, seeing it in that class format definitely helped, um, help solidify that I, I need to do better when it comes to writing out all of my, um, my dope and my wind, my wind information. I'm a big proponent of the HUD. I love it, but you can only get one wind column on that thing. And then you have to like scroll over, um, which is another button taking your hand off your rear bag or your support or whatever. Um, so for long distance engagements, I think I'm going to go to an arm board. I've already purchased one and I'm going to try that out. Um, after we finished those two stages, we did a little bit of a fun free shoot again and did a bunch of stuff i shot off of some tack tables because i got an nrl hunter match coming up here shortly so i wanted to get some practice doing some standing or some um, double kneeling shooting off of a tack table and tripod uh, i found it to be pretty good i liked it it felt comfortable so i was pretty happy with that um, and then we went and got our class photo we drove uh we called the range cold we grabbed all of our guns hopped in pickup trucks drove down to the 405 yard bus got on the backside of the bus and everybody took their cool guy picture for the class. Um, and then we were done for day two. Now, if you haven't listened already, I highly encourage you and I would greatly appreciate it if you went back and listened to episode 77 of this podcast where I interviewed Phil Vallejo, um, not specifically about shooting or the class. We talked about Phil Vallejo, childhood, Marine Corps, leading up to scout sniper, becoming a scout sniper, becoming a scout sniper instructor, getting out of the Marine Corps, working for Gunworks. There's a whole episode of nothing but Phil. It's two hours. It's a great listen. Episode 77, please go ahead and go go check that out. All right, so day three, here comes the rain. Um, that week on Tuesday, tornadoes decimated Panama City, and I had a uh, tornado touchdown in my neighborhood right outside of this window right here. All right. So um, we were dealing with a bunch of weather. 
We had one cell come through on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday were great. Friday, another cell came through and wrecked us. Um, no tornadoes, no lightning, nothing crazy like that. Just a lot of rain. Um, and it definitely helped with gear management, with data management, with ammo management, with management of your whole being, shooting in rain gear. Um, one thing that I screwed up is I didn't keep my lens, uh, my rifle lenses clean. So I had water on them and zero to stage because I couldn't see a damn thing. Um, so uh, the rain gave us the opportunity to see how we perform in shitty conditions. Uh, but to start the day off, we started um, with mental game in uh, in the classroom, in the in the team house. So they threw out some book references. Uh, one of those books was called With Winning in Mind, Lanny Basham. Uh, great book. I have it on um, on Audible. That's the, the way that I ha have to read those books because um, I do so much time in my car that it's easier for me to listen to it than it is to, to, to read it, right? It takes me six months to read a book. Um, so with Winning in Mind, talking a lot about um, the mental side of shooting, not necessarily like this is how you pull a trigger. Um, a lot of the mental side and practicing and practicing until you can't get it wrong and things like that. Another book that they mentioned was uh, Hero's Journey. I don't remember who that's by, um, but it talked a lot about the mental process to this game. Um, so the, I can't do it justice, but the the mental side of uh, a man's ego, the things that he projects, and then the things that he hides away are all constantly pulling at him and how you deal with those things. I don't know how to better else to explain it. If you want, you can pick up the hero's journey and kind of check that book out, or you can take a modern day sniper, modern day sniper class where Kalen is there and you can ask him about the, the, mental game and the hero's journey and he will do a deep dive on it and it is it is worth a listen because he is very very smart when it comes to that all right um they talked about self-talk a lot too so as shooters we or as humans in general we negative self-talk a lot i'm terrible about this um I'm really bad at negative self-talk about myself, not just about my shooting, but life in general and all this other shit. Um, but we need to be better about replacing our negative self-talk with um, something more appropriate. So I mess this up or I need to fix whatever that item may be. Oh, I dropped two. Oh, I screwed up my windhold. Oh, I dialed the wrong dope whatever instead of saying you mess something up because that's putting a negative rep into your mind into your uh conscious and subconscious instead of i mess this up or i need to fix we can sit there and we can change the way that we talk to ourselves and say i'm looking for a solution too if i misdial my dope i'm looking for a solution to ensure that i dial the correct dope on my gun i'm looking for a solution to hold my proper wind call. I'm looking up for a solution to ensuring I throw the right amount of powder in my bullets. So whatever that is, if we can say that to ourselves, it will 
um, help our mental process that much more because we're not negatively impacting our own thought process. Um, so one thing they were big on was they didn't allow you to say, oh, I dropped two. It's a 10 round stage. You didn't drop two, you crushed eight, right? Um, I know that in specifically the PRS, it's easier to count your misses because generally there are fewer misses for guys at the top. That's who you hear saying it. Oh man, drop two. Oh man, drop one. Oh, clean. Cleans are great. Crushed eight. Crushed seven. Crushed 10. Instead of drop two, drop one, whatever it may be. You're putting a positive into your head instead of a negative, right? You're filling your cup up with positives instead of negatives, all right? Um, after we got done with the mental process, we went out and we held our mini match because it dumped pretty hard out there and then it let up and that's when we got out in, uh, outside on day three and started our little mini match. So um, 11 shooters, uh, some of them went with Phil, some of them went with Kalen and then we would switch. Uh, we did some of the same stages. So we did the rocks again, uh, the same stage off the rocks, the same stage off the bus. Uh, we did a different troop line. Uh, we did it off the concrete pad. So we did um, three to 800, I believe. And then um, two shots each went from three to eight. Uh, and then we did a connex. This one was a little bit different. Uh, you went prone, window, 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 rooftop. Um, that was pretty cool. Another key point that I learned uh, learned here was you can sacrifice a little bit of uh, fundamentals being how I address the grip on uh, my, my BA comp chassis instead of having my normal straight vertical grip, finger on the trigger, 90 degree. I could have dropped my elbow down touched the top of the roof and gained a little bit of stability and not been weevil wobbling, getting a lot of um, vertical uh, vertical wobble. I could have reduced that a little bit and broken a good shot. Um, so there's a little bit of, of um, compromise that can lead you to a better outcome. Uh, and Phil actually walked me through that process after I finished uh, that stage, which was really helpful. Once again, we're there to learn. He's got the experience. He took the time to, uh, once I was finished shooting, stop that uh, stop that stage once I was done and then get me back on the gun and practice and see how a little bit of sacrifice can actually gain you something else in a different area. So that was super cool. Um, from there, uh, we shot the four stages on the, new, on the old side of Altus, then we transferred over to the UKD side. Um, and shot the rocks and then the long range. Now the rocks are a little bit different. They're not like stacked up rocks. They are just four or five giant rocks laid out on the on the ground. There was a KYL with three targets on it at 310 yards. Basically what you did was from rock one, you shot the biggest target. If you hit it, you move to the second rock and engage the second target. If you missed the first, uh, target from the first rock, you still moved to the second rock, but you still engaged the largest target. And you basically went down the row. Uh, once you got to the fifth rock or the smallest target, you stayed on the smallest target and then just kept going. Once you got to the fifth rock, you just dumped all your rounds at the smallest target. Um, 
it was pretty fun. It was a, uh, it was a good time. Uh, did pretty good on that stage itself. Uh, from there, we went to the long range stage, which was those Ipsic and Iron Maidens. But this time we shot it prone off of a picnic table. Um, did pretty good there. Uh, had a little bit of trouble like spotting some of my shots, some of my misses. Finally saw one, brought it back uh, to center and got some impacts. So that was super cool. Um, so that was day three. Uh, with that little mini match, we went back in um, to the classroom and we did a debrief on the course. We did a debrief on um, the match. Uh, I don't remember who took first and I apologize. I didn't get your name. Um, I don't remember your name, but it was uh, a college a college student out of Texas A&M. So congrats to him. And uh, he took first and then uh, I ended up taking third. So even with zeroing a stage, uh, I, <laughs> I did okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So uh, once we got all that done, kind of everybody said their 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 two cents. Everybody shook hands, pats on the back, changed some cell phone numbers and things like that. And then uh, people uh, had to get on the road. They had a plane to catch, things like that. So that was the course content overall. There was a bunch of little stuff that I'm leaving out. It's one, because I can't remember it all. And two, if you want to find out what's in the course, you got to take it, man. I'm telling you, it's worth it's worth your time. It's worth your money. It's worth the investment. You're investing in yourself. All right. My major takeaways was Kalen's approach to wind. I, I told you guys this. The way that he lays out his dope card makes a lot of sense to my brain. Um, he writes, you know, the distances. He writes a bunch of wind speeds up at the top. He picks the one that he thinks it's going to be. Say, like I gave you the example, 10 mile an hour. He puts 10 mile an hour for each one of those distances. And then he'll put eight mile an hour and six mile an hour. And then 12 mile an hour and 14 mile an hour. And as he's shooting, if he's taking his 10 mile an hour at his first target at say 800 yards, and it's calling for half a mil, and he sees that it hits at seven tenths, he's going to go down to his next wind call, or he's going to go up in wind to his next wind column and be like, okay, my next shot needs to be in this wind column. So when he goes to his next distance, he's automatically going in and sticking with that wind column. Um, the way that he explained it, the way that he demonstrated it and showed it made a lot of sense to my brain, made my brain happy. I understand it. That is how I am going to implement um, long distance range engagements with multiple um, wind values at different distance at different speeds for the the distances that I'm shooting. I think that is going to be beneficial for me in the future. I really, really liked that aspect of the class. And it was only like 15 minutes worth of instruction in three days, but it literally has like stuck with me this whole time. I can't stop thinking. I'm making little dope cards for myself so that I can have them so I can just jot all my stuff down in them. Uh, another big takeaway was the hips forward on the double kneeling. Um, uh, getting your hips in front of your belly or trying to push your hips out towards your belly, but making it feel like you're thrusting your pelvis forward, trying to get your hips in front of your belly button. Um, it felt really solid for me. I shot two very, very small 
uh, two shot groups at a very fine focal point on the uh, on the the zero day. It felt really good. It felt more natural. It um, I looked more natural. It felt funny, but I looked more natural in a more natural position shooting. Um, it it does feel a little weird, weird at first, but I really really liked it. Um, another thing was breaking everything into steps, breaking things into process. Uh, I'm a military guy. That's kind of how my brain's been trained over the last 20 years, uh, breaking every major thing down into a smaller process. Um, we do it when we're going through the schoolhouse and we're learning how to use explosive tools. Like I'm going to, you know, this is my tool setup. This is my tool buildup. This is my, my firing process. Well, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to build my pre-shot checklist, my on the clock checklist, my post-shot checklist. I'm going to have my checklist before I go to a match to make sure I bring everything. I'm going to have a post-match checklist to make sure that I, I do all the things that I need to do post-match. For example, you can see my rifle behind me. I stripped that whole thing down today, cleaned out the trigger, cleaned out um, the chassis, cleaned out the action, cleaned out the, the bore, um, wiped everything down, got all the water off of it, got all the, you know, brushed everything down with a little bit of oil on the bolt so they don't rust, things like that. My post-match um, equipment process. Um, so breaking all those things down into a process into smaller steps really uh, makes sense to me. So I'm going to try and uh, doing a little bit more of that and thinking of what my processes need to be uh, to ensure that everything runs smoothly so I don't forget something and then I'm stressed or I'm not in the moment, I'm not in the, in the process of shooting. Um, uh, the aiming... Um, the aiming process when it comes to wind and addressing the rifle, that was a big takeaway for me as well. Like not, not thinking of an aiming process um, that, that struck me as something that I definitely need to do a good takeaway. Um, so those are kind of the big takeaways that I had for, for the class. Um, now this is the second time I've taken this class. Both of them were here at Altus. Um, I kind of want to compare and contrast the the two different classes. Um, so I took the class last year. Matt and Ryan taught last year. Kayla and Phil taught this year. Uh, a lot of things were similar, but there were some differences. So some of the differences between this year and last year. Um, uh, first off, if you want to hear my evaluation of last year's class, go ahead and scroll back through the podcast. It's episode 50. Five zero. It's episode fifty uh, of another GD podcast. It's the Modern Day Sniper um, class review. Um, that's been out for a little bit over a year now. I can't remember when that one got posted, but that's out there. You can go ahead and you can listen to that to get some of my more in depth uh, thought processes and opinions of that class. I just kind of went through my notes that I have um, in my shooting notebook. Um, from that class and just kind of pulled some of the things that I remembered. So um, some of the similarities were uh, the positional and tripod stuff. We did a lot of positional in this class. We did a lot of positional last year's class. We did uh, some pretty solid tripod stuff, um, like a dedicated tripod class um, with Phil in this class. Last year, they showed us the process of using the tripod, and then they let us experiment at different heights and different levels with our tripods, um, more of a um, you shoot will will walk around and give uh, subtle critique and adjustment 
whereas Phil had us running a stage with our tripod and was giving a critique on the uh, on the clock there. Uh, another similarity, we both confirmed dope at 940 yards um, this year and last year. Last year, they literally had us walk it out. They went from three or 400 to 940 um, with each individual student. It was a little easier to do it. They had four students last year. They had 11 this year. Can't really do that uh, with 11 students. It would have taken too long. So they kind of did the free shoot. And then um, the instructor, Phil, would say, okay, guy, you ready? Punch it at 940. Get your hit. Give me another one. Good to go. Next shooter. And then go back to free shoot. Um, so we still confirm data out to 940. Um, I don't want to say those are the only similarities, but different instructors have different processes, have different knowledge to share. So with some of the differences, um, this year was a three-day course. Last year was a two-day course. Um, so that was one of the big differences uh, between the two classes. Um, la this year, there was no craft drill. Last year, we ran the craft drill, I think, three times. Day one, after we zero and chronoed, we immediately shot the craft drill. They kind of sh showed us what we needed to do, and then we shot it. Um, I've shot a bunch of craft drills, so I knew what I was doing. One of the guys that hadn't shot the craft drill before, you know, it was new to him. It was a new experience, so it was cool. So we shot the craft drill, talked about it, did some other things, worked on some other stuff, came back to the craft drill, shot it. Everybody's groups on the craft drill shrank a little bit. It was awesome. The beginning of day two, shot the craft drill again just as a warm-up. This year, we didn't do any of that. We did chrono, zero. We did some uh, one-shot, two-shot drills, and then we were running mini stages. So different different ways of uh, providing information to the students. Um, uh, this year, there was no mover. Uh, it wasn't in Phil and Kalen's control. Uh, the Something was wrong with the, with the box or the generator or something, don't know. Either way, we had no mover this year. So um, kind of bummer. I would have liked to have seen how Phil addresses a mover. Um, but I'm sure I can I can message him in on the modern day sniper uh, app in the in the network and and get his thoughts on that. Um, already talked about the new facility. Last year it was four of us and two instructors in the small tiny classroom that they have up. At the, uh, at the gazebo next to the pro shop. Worked fine because there was only four of us. That wouldn't have worked this year. We did it in the team house. Um, much bigger, more spacious. Um, bathrooms, drinks, uh, the couches. Uh, if uh, if the stools were getting, or the benches were getting to you too much. I know uh, I know Mike uh, Mike went over there and sat on those for a little bit just because uh, he, he's got a bad back. Um, so it was a little bit more comfortable for them. And then the biggest difference is we have more students. We had 11 students versus four students last year. So we had a really good turnout. Um, a lot of people stayed in the team, the team house. Uh, instead of going downtown, it was great. It was awesome. I'm sure that those guys had a lot of fun. And uh, waking up and cooking breakfast or getting done with class and cooking dinner and just shooting the shit and being able to pick people's brains and having fun. So Really cool aspect, really cool idea. Um, final thoughts would be, it's hard to compare based on the level of experience of the instructor. Like Phil was an instructor at Scout Sniper School. Kalen's been shooting long range targets since the early 2000s. 
Um, I can't remember what Matt and Ryan's pedigrees are um, or what their background are, but they're both versed, but they both, all four of them have a different experience. Phil and Kaylin don't teach things, the ex they see eye to eye and they agree on a lot of thought process, but they don't do things the exact same. So you can't expect Ryan and Matt to do th the exact same thing as uh, as these guys. So there are gonna be a little bit of um, instructor-led um, differences on how each instructor uh, goes about teaching something, um, but that's not a negative on on any one of the instructors. There were, both classes were great. I happened to, I feel like I got a bigger takeaway out of this class, um, but that's maybe just where I'm at in my own shooting journey. I don't know. But overall, the class is worth the money. Um, like I said, it's it's yes, it's an investment. It's an expensive course, but you're investing in yourself to get better at the thing that you hopefully want to get better at. That's why you're doing it. But two, it's the thing that you enjoy. You wouldn't be spending all the money that we spend in this sport if you didn't enjoy this sport to begin with. Um, I will attend another modern day sniper sniper class. I don't know which one. I don't know if I'll take their intro. I don't know if I'll take another comp clinic. I don't know if I'll take their um, ethical long range hunting. I don't know the name of it. It was on episode 77, check it out. I can't remember, um, but their long range hunting class. I don't know which class I take, but I know I'll be in the um, modern day sniper community uh, for a long time. It's a great place. Uh, if you haven't gotten on to the Modern Day Rifleman Network, I suggest you do that. I suggest you get on to Modern Day Sniper and look for a course near you. Uh, sign up, get into one of those courses. I don't think you will be disappointed. I know I'm not disappointed taking it either year. Um, I think it was uh, well worth my investment. Um, so I feel better as a shooter taking this class again i feel better about my year going forward um after taking this class i think uh yesterday when we shot the altus match like i had a bunch of things go wrong a bunch of things uh bolt stop uh didn't stop my bolt from coming out it's a brand new bolt stop uh turns out i have a uh a, a boogered up bolt lug on <laughs> My action so there's that um but my uh bolt came out smacked me in the face fell in the mud in the middle of the stage wiped it off best i could put in the gun dead trigger so um i was clean up until that happened and then i ended up only crushing four instead of crushing 10 because uh i had a gun issue got the gun went and cleaned everything out best as i could got the gun back up and running and then continued to shoot through the day. That could have just ended my day right there, but positive mental attitude. I can fix this and I can continue and at least continue with my day, though it may not end the way I wanted it to. It's I'm going to shoot to the best of my ability given um, the equipment issues that I have had and am having, I'm going to continue to fight through them. Um, that was my own mental thought process mm -hmm pushing forward and ensuring that I'm having a good match. Um, so yeah, I, I can't say anything else, but um, check out the, check out the website and sign up for a class. Cool. So thanks for joining me on this episode of another GD podcast.
Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, share the episode as it helps grow our listenership. And when you share it, it exposes us to an ever-growing fan base. If you have suggestions for the podcast, if you say, hey, I want you to do a deep dive on this topic, or I want you to go see if you could find this guest because I think he's got an interesting story, or hey, are you going to be at this match to do match coverage? Hit me up, guy.demarco.84 at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Instagram at another GD podcast. Um, let me know what you guys think. Are you guys enjoying this? Are you guys liking this? Um, go over to Apple, go over to Spotify, leave a review, share it from there. It just helps me grow this podcast to grow it out to all of you guys. And I do want to give a shout out to all my international listeners. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys um, listening abroad. I know it's uh, about 1% um, from uh, a bunch of different countries, but there's like 4% from um, the Europe uh, Europe theater uh, is, is my listener base. So thank you guys very much. Um, really appreciate you guys. Till next time, keep your powder dry. We'll, we'll see you at the range.